0: On today's show, is it time for the Cavaliers to cut ties with Isaac Okoro? Hear about all this and more in today's episode of Locked on Cavs. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. That's and Jables. My name is Evan Damaral and I am the co-host of Locked on Cavs, the first podcast ever to feature human voices. I am also the founder and puppet master behind Rate Down Euclid, a non-profit news organization providing Clevelanders the news they deserve several times a week via newsletter or online. We are, of course, fully fueled by reader support and I'd say the more work that it speaks for itself, there's plenty of it. And there's a lot of it you can find, despite what pal-holes may take to socials to say about you. So if you're able, throw a couple bones right down Euclid's way. Chris Manning is out of the office, but Jake Stevens, as always, has produced this episode of Locked On Cavs. If you want to support what he's about, check out The Merrier, or his latest is EP, If We Fall Asleep Too Early, anywhere you can listen to music. Finally, today's episode of Locked On Cavs is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time listeners can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKED ON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKED ON. So, Isaac Okoro never took the big time year three leap many of us, especially Chris and I on Locked On Cavs, expected. Sure, the defensive upside's there. You can definitely make the case and argue quite a bit that Okoro is Cleveland's best point of attack defender. But offensively, Okoro is still a big-time liability based on how opponents defended him, especially with the Knicks just sagging off of him almost completely whenever he was floating on the perimeter in the playoffs. And before I tear more into Okoro, let's share some of the positives about this year for him. While he did average a career-worth 6.8 points per game, he did score at a hyper-efficient rate, shooting 49.4% from the field overall. Moreover, Okoro converted an impressive 65.7% of his shots at the rim while drawing, shooting fouls on 14.2% of those shot attempts, which are positive signs of growth on offense, which is what you want to hear with Isaac Okoro. And also, he did this on a career-low 11.2% usage percentage. We'll talk more on that in a second, but the fact that he was so efficient without the ball in his hands kind of crystallizes that Okoro did improve offensively, but let's add a little bit more context to that. But before I do, we also should mention, or I should mention, that Akoro was also a good fit with Cleveland's core four, with the team outscoring opponents by 6.8 points per game per 100 possessions whenever he shared the floor with Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, and Garland. But despite those numbers, Akoro isn't a player that has figured out his fit within these lineups. He shared that in the past, he's really struggled to learn how to function without the ball in his hands. Sharing the floor with two ball-dominant guards and two non-shooting bigs is in a way that's conducive to growth and will limit his chances to grow offensively. Hence the career-low usage percentage. That's, that, that really crystallizes him having to play mostly off-ball because of Garland and Mitchell, and that's really all it is because he had the ball in his hands a lot in high school and college. When he was working on offense, 85% of Coro's shot attempts came from corner threes or at the rim. While those are two of the most efficient places to score on the court, the lack of growth in operating outside those areas is mildly concerning. Some of that can be placed on the shoulders of Cleveland's coaching staff and the lack of creativity within the offense. Ditto for the lineups where is utilized where more often than not, he's the fifth banana and very reliant on how defenses are playing Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, and Allen. But when Okoro doesn't do much other than attack the corner, or attack from the corner, rather, it limits his potential and makes him incredibly easy to plan for whenever he's on the floor. During the regular season, I'm going to get some numbers out here for you guys. During the regular season, 0.6% of the time, there was a defender within 2 to 4 feet of Okoro while Cleveland was on offense. That number dropped to 0% in the postseason against New York. 2.8% of the time, Okoro was considered open with a defender within 4 to 6 feet of him during the regular season. That number did jump to 4.3% during the playoffs. Finally, and this is the staggering one, Okoro was left wide open on the perimeter 45.5% of the time during the regular season with opponents walling off the paint instead. That number jumped to 52.2% on Okoro's 12 three-pointer attempts in the first round against the Knicks. What does that say? Opponents have figured out that Okoro was really only functional from the corner and that his three-point shot still hasn't fully developed to the point where it's a reliable option on offense. Now, I wouldn't say it's as bad as like Andre Roberson at times the Durant-Westbrook Thunder, but for a team that plays an antiquated style of basketball with two non-shooting big men, Okoro's lack of offensive adaptability and versatility is disheartening, especially when he struggled to keep defenses honest consistently this season, and that has been... Uh, the through line of his offensive career with the Cavaliers. And that's why I think you saw the Cavs zero in on the best available shooting options on the market in Max Struess, George Niang, and Ty Jerome. You have to think, where does Isaac Okoro fit within the rotation going forward with all these additions? We can dive deeper on that in a moment, but we should really just consider the fact that like, Okoro had much more efficient numbers. He's learning how to play off ball and without the ball in his hands, but he just didn't have that year three leap. And you have to kind of question what his future is with the team. That's the crux of this episode. But at least for now, he's on the roster. He hasn't been traded yet as of me recording this. But for now, like with the new additions the Cavs made, does he even play next season? We'll talk about that more and we can dive a lot deeper into it. But first, I gotta give a quick word from today's sponsor, Prize Picks. As I said before, today's episode of Locked On Cavs is brought to you by Prize Picks. Yay, Prize Picks! To play, pick two to five players to see if they'll score more or less points than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, the PGA, or LIV, I guess, college football, men's college basketball, Women's college basketball, soccer, the WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, euro basketball, cricket. Maybe they start doing ad reads for podcast hosts on this network, and so much more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, it's that easy, and they offer safe and fast withdrawals. They're currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. And if you're interested, download the PrizePix app or go to PrizePix.com to sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON at sign-up for an instant deposit match of up to 100 bones. What is up, everyone? I am Evan Damero, and we are back with more Locked on Cavs. I got to thank you guys for making Locked on Cavs your first listen every day. Every dayers, as you are right now, I'll be back tomorrow, still going solo, to give my final thoughts on Las Vegas Summer League for the Cavaliers, especially if, as Jake Taylor would say, they win the whole effing thing. And as I said before, we're going to jump in now to where does Isaac Okoro fit with this new look Cavaliers team? and we've talked about this at length on the show for quite a bit now, but if the season started tomorrow, I think Chris and I both agree that the Cavs' starting lineup would be the following. Darius Garland at point, Donovan Mitchell at shooting guard, Evan Mobley at power forward, Jared Allen at center, and Max Struess at the three spot. This is because Struess has a very clear and defined role, whether it was at the Heat or whether it, what it could be with the Cavs as a guy who can be a movement shooter that can play off of the defensive attention players like Garland and Mitchell command on the perimeter or on the interior, or be a bit of a guy that just runs around the court on off-ball screens or just through actions and things like that to utilize Evan Mobley's passing or maybe even Jared Allen who can make basic reads at times. Plus, more importantly... Streus gives you what a doesn't, which is just consistent spacing threat, and, or a, a consistent spacing threat to again let this antiquated style of basketball function a bit more, um, just in case Evan Mobley's shot doesn't convey this conversation. Of course, is completely flipped if. Mobley comes out hitting thirty-eight to forty percent of his three-point attempts on like three or four attempts per game early into the season, but let's just assume now since he's not a shooter that that's not happening, and that's where Struess really just comes into the equation and kind of clicks as the offensive connector piece that the Cavs need to just fully function as a team on either end of the floor. So then you look at the bench, and that's where Okoro is kind of in the mix, but. I've said this a lot in writing for Write Down Euclid. I've said it on the show quite a bit. But Karis Levert should be the team's six man heading into this upcoming season. Um, he really did function as a guy who adapted to situations. I think you really need to empower him by letting him be the lead guard off the bench and let him run the offense a little bit with one of Mitchell or Garland next to him, uh, just to kind of be like a little bit of like a safety valve or just like a guy who can just uh, read and play off ball next to Levert or maybe in the situations Levert plays off ball too. But like you want to empower him and have him be the guy that makes offensive lineups flow and work. And after that, you I think you just pencil in George Niang and as like your seventh or eighth man, again, we'll talk about this more. So he's, right after Levert right now in my eyes, just because he's a bigger player. He's a 3-4 type player. He pairs really nicely next to either of Mobley or Allen. And I think if you're looking at bench units, you, you more often than not want to see lineups that feature one of Garland or Mitchell and one of Mobley or Allen at all times. And then you pepper in the guys on the fringes. And in this case, it'd be, here's a lineup I'm going to throw out of here. So it'd be Mitchell at the point, Lavert at two. Uh, we'll keep Max Struis at the three for the time being. Uh, George Niang at the four, and Evan Mobley at the five. That gives you a lot of passing, a lot of movement, a lot of shooting. Um, you're asking to do Evan, Evan Mobley to do a lot defensively, but like that—that that is a very lethal bench lineup mixed in with your starters. And I think the Cavs need to find ways to more creatively. Always have one of the starters on the floor, possibly two of them, just because of how top-heavy they are. And Niang, Struess, and then Levert is as like your lead guard off the bench makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ty Jerome, in my opinion, should be in the mix, too. Uh, I think he should be the one getting minutes over Ricky Rubio because of the shooting upside. And there's also Damian Jones who could be in the mix as well because he's a younger big man who can provide relief minutes to one of Mobley or Allen at times, too. And that kind of makes things a little tricky because I have named... Four players that should be coming off the bench, and typically, J.B. Bickerstaff only goes eight to nine deep, and Isaac Okoro could either be the odd man out, or at least to start the season, could be a guy who's maybe fighting with like Ty Jerome, Ricky Rubio, who's could be in the mix as well, maybe even Damian Jones for like those like seventh, eighth, depending what Niang does, ninth man minutes in the rotation, and. That's certainly a fall for Grace, from Grace, from a guy who was once viewed as maybe the starting small forward going forward for this team. Uh, heading into last year, Chris and I hoped he could be that connector piece between offense and defense for the Cavs. And it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's also the reality of the situation. Um, it's even murkier if, let's say, the Cavs go after P.J. Washington in a sign and trade. We'll talk about that more in the final segment or maybe they go after a guy like Christian Wood or like Kelly Oubre or Kendrick Nunn or they look at just like what's left on the free agency market to address just one more need on their roster and rotation just to kind of flush things out a little bit further and that could really bump Okoro down the rotation too because if any of those guys provide shooting or at least in terms of movement and kind of just are able to be or take advantage of maybe the wide open opportunities they might be getting like Okoro Haddon um, you have to really take that into consideration uh, If, let's say, Okoro is able to expand his game more off-ball, um, he's able to give you a little bit more other than just like attacking from the corner and maybe reading, reacting a little bit more. Maybe his him tightening his handle could really unlock things for him. Let's say he attacks a closeout on the perimeter and he drives toward the basket and the defense adjusts and walls him off because they know that's like Isaac Okoro's bread-and-butter play. If he's able to kick it out to a shooter on the top of the perimeter or a guard that is trailing behind him or even a big that happens just to be in the paint to get an easier cleaner look because Acuro is getting just sudden defensive attention like that yeah, that changes a lot but that that makes it tough because he's just been such a work in progress for the last 3 years and if he continues to be a work in progress it can make things much murkier for Okoro, and you could see nice where he doesn't play for the Cavs because they can't afford to sacrifice possessions at this point to give Okoro the runway to grow and learn from his mistakes and add to his arsenal. You need him to develop and grow off the court, and hopefully with some of Cleveland's coaching staff, but obviously on his own as well during the offseason. But these moves this offseason to go get Max to go get Struz excuse me, Chris, George Niang, to go get Ty Jerome, that, that's... Those are clear offensive first moves the Cavs made. They're looking to sacrifice some of this defensive upside that this team has, even though they were the number one defensive team in the league. I think they're comfortable to maybe taking a step or two back to be number two or number three, just because of how good Mobley and Allen are. I don't think they'll drop very far, but they're willing to make that sacrifice to make things easier for their star four players and also just finally add that level of balance and just like familiarity on either end of the floor so that it just feels smoother, you're maybe not burning guys out or running them out, or more importantly, have more than four, maybe five viable players come postseason time. It's, it, ultimately, this all does hinge on whether or not Okoro can be a bit more of an offensive threat entering his fourth NBA season. This year is technically a contract year for Okoro, and he's going to have to prove to the Cavaliers, or other NBA teams, if he can be a viable NBA player on offense, not just defense. We'll talk about that more in a second, but I have a few more quick words from sponsors of the number one Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. But again, I want to thank you all for making Locked on Cavs your first listen every day. Every day or tomorrow on the show, I'll be giving my thoughts on summer league leaguers like Pete Nance, who could be around the Cavs via the charge a bit longer than just a, you know, a quick trip to Vegas. Welcome back to Locked on Cavs as we enter the final segment for Monday, July 17th episode. And as I said in the last segment, this is a contract year for Isaac Okoro. Sure, he can sign an extension with the Cavs until late October at any time, but based on everything I have kind of said in the last 20 or so minutes, do you think that's realistic right now? I I, I don't. I don't think that's realistic. And more likely, Okoro is going to enter restricted free agency next year because the Cavs already picked up his option for this upcoming season and i would assume that they extend him a qualifying offer just because he is a top five pick and he does have value for this team and depending on how he looks this year that could hinge on if cleveland makes it a bit of a priority to lock him up right away uh go further and further maybe even go over the luxury tax threshold to keep him which they're able to do just because they have his bird rights and he's also an rfa but that's more technical stuff down the line but they also could let him test the water as a free agency to see okay we don't quite know what you're worth Isaac you may think you're worth this much we may not agree let's see if we can find a middle ground of whether a team is willing to sign you to maybe what you believe you're worth or maybe a little bit less of what you believe you're worth which is more than what the Cavs are willing to pay or they just find something and then the Cavs have that luxury because Okoro is a restricted free agent to be able to match any of those contract offers that are out there and if it's the juice isn't worth the squeeze, the Cavs can let a Coro go. And it's tough because a lot of the teams like the Jazz or the Pacers or the Magic, the teams that have a lot of projected salary cap space, will be using a lot of their money to lock up their own players, whether it's the Jazz figuring out what's next um, with just all the star moves. They have to resign Larry Market and likely to an extension. And also, there's John Collins in the mix there, too. The Pacers just uh acquired Obi Toppin and Obi Toppin is extension eligible and he's also gonna be a restricted free agent like a coro. They just signed Tyrese Halliburton to a ton of money. Miles Turner may get an extension of them because the Pacers are looking to remain competitive instead of just blowing this up. They also could sign Buddy Healed to an extension too. Like there's a lot of paths here where the Cavs could not have to really sweat the market that much. And then like a team like Orlando, who I just throw out there as a mention because they're a younger team, um they have to re-sign a lot of these young guys, and that that could make it even harder for them to go after uh free agents on the market like Akora, who who could have some intrigue just because he is a younger wing player that provides you I, I would say elite point of attack defense, which is a really underrated skill in basketball. And that leaves a team like the San Antonio Spurs, which according to Spot Track have or at least projected to have about 7.8 million dollars in salary cap space, uh, not this summer, but the following summer. And that would be a $1 million pay decrease compared to what Okoro is making for the 2023-24 season. And considering how flawed he is and can be as a player, he may not get a better offer than that in the market, too. Like, the Cavs could offer him something more than that, and he stays in Cleveland. Let's say it's $8.2 million annually or maybe something a little bit north of that. But the Cavs kind of have the luxury of not having to fight a lot of teams on the market to sign Isaac Okoro under restricted free agency. Um, and again, this all does change the narrative and this conversation changes considerably if he does make, like, quite a leap uh, in his fourth season in the NBA. But let's just say he's making roughly $7.8 annually or the Cavs, or, like, he signs a contract with, a, let's just say, San Antonio and it's worth $7.8 annually. I'm pretty sure the Cavs would be happy to keep Okoro flaws and all. But if a and his team feel that this isn't a good situation for him um, because it can't be understated that he entered at a weird time during the pandemic. He didn't have the luxury of summer league or really like a proper training camp because of COVID um, his development was kind of on the fly. His rookie season and JB Baker said the approach is just like, Hey, Isaac, We want you to defend the best perimeter player hard. We don't care if you foul him. And it was trial by fire. He learned how to play defense pretty quickly. He understood player tendencies and defensive concepts a lot faster and better that way. But the offense is just such a work in progress. And because he doesn't have those reps or opportunities or just opportunities with the ball in his hand to kind of just find ways to maybe tighten up his handle or work on that a little bit and like with actual in-game reps or just get more shot opportunities versus just like the very few he had, or maybe how he's just kind of put in a box offensively at times. Like the Cavs may have to consider trading him, especially if him and his camp are like, hey, we love Cleveland. We love this coaching staff. We just don't think this is the right fit for Isaac right time in his right now in his career. Um and again, it's not his fault that the Cavs went from a bad team to a winning team after acquiring Evan Mobley. Um, but a just doesn't have the luxury of like what other rookies have had in the past and also just hasn't had that runway to properly develop because the, the Cavs became a little bit too good too quickly, just at his own expense. And with that said, like the, the Cavs could explore the option of trading a And I have a couple ideas just out there for you guys. Like they, i had mentioned PJ Washington before, like, let's say the Cavs are able to sign Washington and the trade is up on the screen right now. Let's say they signed him to... Him as Washington to a three year, $17.4 million per year contract. And that's it's three years, $52.3 million according to Fanspo. And you send out Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, and two second round picks. In this trade, I gave Charlotte the 2024 second rounder via Golden State and then the 2027 second rounder via Denver. Um, That would make sense because Charlotte is not going to be a good team. Uh, I think they have so many more questions than they do answers right now as they are as a squad, but like a fits nicely next to LaMelo ball. He fits nicely next to Brandon Miller as well. Um, I think you could give him a lot of reps and opportunities to function as a player. Um, Again, there's a lot of just like laws of this Hornets team, but like, that is a team that is likely going to be picking high in the draft next year. And core at least could have the opportunity to learn what he is as a player and maybe maximize on his financial opportunities heading into the uh, following offseason next summer, whether it's with Charlotte or a different team. And for Washington, that gives you a guy that can play the three four for the Cavs. Maybe he plays a lot of small ball five two. He gives you a lot of that shooting upside. He's a player that at least I know the Cavs are were interested in heading into free agency. But they got a lot of their first name targets first. Uh, the biggest one being Max Strus, and then kind of just worked backwards from there. But we'll, we'll see. Like, what would Washington be comfortable coming off the bench, or does he want to start like that? There's a lot of questions there. But like, he would fit in very very nicely as like that last rotation piece, and would really just make things pretty consistent and tight for the Cavs like they would have a lot of shooting options off the bench but let's say that trade doesn't manifest let's say Dallas steps in and they offer P.J. Washington more money or maybe just a better opportunity overall there's also this trade which I think could be interesting the Cavs could try and bring Larry Dance Jr. home just to provide more of that like versatile forward depth especially at the forward position he could play small ball five two but in this trade and this also of course depends on the Pelicans just saying like hey we're gonna kind of retool around Brandon Ingram a little bit, maybe shift a few of the pieces around. Maybe they go get a lot for Zion Williamson, and they think, okay, Larry Nance Jr. just doesn't fit into the equation anymore. If the Cavs were to go get Larry Nance Jr. and they send out Isaac Okoro, Sam Merrill, just for the money to work, um, and a 2026 second rounder via the Los Angeles Lakers, like I don't think that's a terrible trade for either side. I think the Pelicans do get another defensive wing that could be a lot of fun just based on what they're building especially around Ingram and like Herb Jones who yeah did take a step back offensively but is like an elite defender and they have Dyson Daniels like they have a ton of fun pieces in New Orleans and I think Okoro could fit in pretty nicely there maybe have a little bit more of an opportunity on a team that isn't great but is trying to be but they're still pretty good and I still think Okoro could develop and mesh and coexist with a lot of those young pieces in New Orleans but Again, let's say they don't trade Zion, they as in New Orleans, let's say they want to keep Larry Dance Jr. There's always this option, too, with a team that is confuddling to me. Like, I think they're going to try and be competitive, even though they lost Fred Van Fleet. But, like, if the Raptors start having a bit of a fire sale, and let's say Chris Boucher becomes available, and you're able to maybe grab Otto Porter Jr. as well, just, like, round out the back end of your wing rotation... And you have to send out Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, Sam Merrill, and two future second rounders in this trade. I didn't put this one together, but I found it. And I'm like, okay, Chris Boucher and Otto Porter make sense for the Cavs at least. Um, you send out the 2026 second rounder via the Lakers and the 2027 second rounder via the Nuggets just to acquire Boucher and Porter Jr., who Boucher's in this case is more of a stretch big who has like high energy defensive upside. I think. Or at least I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that like he would be a better option than Christian Wood. It's just he's not a free agent right now. And yeah, Otto Porter Jr. has been having some health issues. Uh, he hardly played for the Raptors last year. But like I was always a fan of his game. He's a bigger wing. I think he could fit in nicely as not a guy who plays on a night-to-night basis, but like gives you more depth at the perimeter position, which is something that a team like the Cavs just really, really need. But again, this all really just does hinge on... Whether or not Isaac Okoro makes a bit of a leap offensively to add some versatility to his game. And he's definitely going to be a player worth watching all of next season since his future with the team and in the NBA in general depends on his performance. I'm going to pass it over to you guys. What do you think the Cavs should do? What do you think Isaac Okoro should work on the most? Um, what do you expect? Like, do you expect the Cavs to sign into an extension? Do you expect them to trade him? Do you expect. Something completely crazy to happen. You expect him to start, come off the bench. You tell me in the comments below. Let me know. And just thanks again for making Locked On Cavs your first listen every day. Again, every dayers, I'll be back tomorrow with my final thoughts on Las Vegas Summer League and their overall experience for the Cavs. Maybe they will be LVSL Summer League champion. I'm, um, that said Summer League twice, but either way. Maybe they will be champs. Maybe they won't be. Who knows? We're going to break it all down on Tuesday's Locked on Cavs. But until next time, talk to you later. I'm Evan Damrell. Check out the Marrier and Jake Stevens work. Check out Write Down Euclid and donate to a non news organization. Our work speaks for itself. Believe me. And until next time, go Cavs.